What I'm going to be addressing this evening, uh, considering the need to shorten the lecture substantially, is uh, just a, fortuitously, it just happened that Jennifer from Arizona sent in another question. And Kathy and Marie last week, Kathy in the front row, as opposed to Kathy who's on the left in the back, and Marie, uh, they had uh, significant post-game after-lecture questions as well from last Sunday. And I thought I'd share those as it is usually the case that their concerns, whenever anybody asks me a question, uh, that's representative of many of you. And so uh, that will help, I think. And I also figured I'd blast away at the behold. If you were here last week, uh, notice I don't have the board up here because I didn't want to have to move it again so quickly. I'm going to blast away at the behold the bridegroom comes, or at least set the um, the groundwork for it. Also, and blessed is he who comes. So let me repeat those because the behold the bridegroom comes is an extraordinary complex piece of scripture and the blessed uh, and blessed is he who comes is also very, very complex. Immediately when you hear somebody yelling at Christ, blessed is he who comes, what would you think? Why, why am I blessing God? He's blessed. We, why is this, this phrase so important? Blessed is he who comes. Who says that to him? Who says, behold, the bridegroom comes? Who says, blessed is he who comes? Do I have the same persons or persons saying both? And by the way, that's how we know uh, we've got to deal with Michael, the archangel, because we believe that this is shouted for, excuse me, specifically, behold, the bridegroom comes. That's shouted by the archangel at the rapture. That's step 10, if you have your bulletin, that's step 10 of the Hebrew betrothal ceremony or marriage uh, ceremony. And thus, this obvious question has to happen. Why does the archangel Michael shout this, 1 Thessalonians 4.16? He shouts it. What's the next obvious question? How loud is it? What's the next obvious question? Who hears it? Does everybody hear it when he shouts it? Behold, the bridegroom comes. Everybody hear it? Or just some people hear it? Is it some or everybody? If you, if you have that it is just some, who then is the some that hears? And why did that some hear it? That specific sum. What's your choices? The entire world hears it. Just the bride hears it. Or the bride and the bride and the bride's friends hear it. Who's the bride's friends? Now the church is the bride. You make the case that the bride's friend because of John the Baptist is the nation of Israel. Does the nation of Israel hear the phrase Behold, the bridegroom comes. See, this gets you into how complex is John 27, what is, or 1027, my sheep hear my voice. You know, no one can snatch me, no one can snatch them out of the hand, my hand, uh, my father's hand. My sheep hear my voice is a very complicated statement. And what does all of this have to do with Daniel 12? What's Daniel 12? 1 through 3, what is that? That is Michael the archangel. Again, must we now gather and place side by side all of the scripture that Michael the archangel is prominent in just to be able to understand, behold, the bridegroom comes? Yes, we have to do that. That's a big yep. 
Therefore, we've got to look again at Michael battling Moses, I'm sorry, battling Satan over the body of Moses. That's very important, Moses being a part of this. He's very much a part of this. That's Jude 9. Why does Michael shout this? Why does he fight with Moses? I'm sorry, I kept doing that. Fight with Satan over the body of Moses. And then I have Michael in this heavenly war with Satan, Revelation 12, 7 through 12. And of course, I have Michael Muss, right? I was talking to um, uh, Talia about Michael Muss and Gabriel Muss and Christmas. That's Michael sent. That's the feast day of tabernacles. The early church commemorated Michaelmas or Michael sent on September 29th. Uh, they understood its connection to Luke 2.13. We don't. Uh, we have it in the solstice or the darkness, the darkest period of time for the nation of Israel as opposed to Australia, right? Because you've got to know that there's a Never mind, you don't have to know that, but people tell me all the time, it isn't the darkest time of the year for the southern half of the hemisphere. And I say it's all about Israel. The perspective of that is from Israel's perspective. Okay, but we're going to have to add Daniel 12, 1 through 3 uh, in there, and it would, and, because that's going to be helpful in solving tent number 10, step 10 of this uh, Jewish betrothal wedding ceremony. Um, step 10, let me read it again for those uh, on the internet. The shofar is blown, the trumpet is blown, the bridegroom returns with a shout, and, it, and the shout is, Behold, the bridegroom comes, and blessed is he who comes. Matthew 25, 6 and 23:39. Okay, when you begin to solve uh, Michael and Daniel 12, and Michael and Satan in the body of Moses, and Michael in the heavenly war with Satan, you begin to get a full understanding of what's going on in step 10 with regard to this wedding ceremony, among other things. thought I'd throw in also uh, Moses and Aaron at Numbers 20. What is Moses and Aaron at Numbers 20? Moses and Aaron at Numbers 20 is when most uh, theologians will tell you that Moses made an error and struck or smote the rock twice. And I will tell you that Moses did not make an error at all. That was an intentional act that he had purpose. He had a plan, Moses and Aaron did. And it has something to do, by the way, with Nadab and Abihu, which we covered a few weeks ago. Moses and Aaron at Numbers 20 is very, very important. It, um, it also explains Psalm 118.26. Psalm 118.26 is, blessed is he who comes, right? Hopefully you knew that, maybe you didn't, but it is. It is, blessed is he who comes. That's who wrote, blessed is he who comes. Moses did it in Psalms 118. And that explains Matthew 25.6, which is, behold, the bridegroom comes. And that explains Matthew 23.39, which is, blessed is he who comes, which explains... Step 10 of the Jewish-Hebrew betrothal ceremony. Got all that? Easy as cake, piece of pie. Some other people say simple as cake, let them eat pie. I'll let that, thank you for laughing. Ah! How long have I been saying easy as cake, Katrina? You should know. Okay. You may be now questioning just how short is this lecture ah, really going to be. And um, and perhaps this will be uh, part 
one introduction to intermission review five. Who says I don't have catchy titles? That's pretty catchy. I, I worked hard on that part one introduction to intermission review five, which means it's probably a part two introduction to intermission review five, which will be next week. By the way, for those of you who uh, find us at Sermon Audio, I need to put this in every now and then. I do not write the lecture titles or the lecture descriptions on Sermon Audio. That is totally and completely the work of Supper Dave Stahl. All complaints should be addressed to him, not to me. I come up with part one, introduction to intermission review five. He comes up with bloody stump in the mail. Okay, So that's the great difference between the two of us. So address accolades and and uh, uh, and dis, uh, uh, discontent to him. He's he's uh, available on the internet where I am not generally. Anyway, okay, Jennifer from Arizona. I'm going to read what she says and then we'll address it. And hopefully we'll wrap this up in 15 minutes and the pizza will be ready. And we'll start uh, running around on man lifts carrying heavy things. It should be perfectly safe. Here's what she says. Message from Jennifer. I know when I bring up the Hebrew betrothal ceremony, many will say, and she's right about this, many will say this to her, and they have already probably has. We've already warned her about going around and bringing up things that happened here at Cliffside and what will happen to her, haven't we? But she's still doing it, bless her little heart. Uh, many will say it's not the Bible. It's not literally in it. It's extra biblical, etc. How do we respond to that? Even though it clears things up, they will wonder why God did not include it literally in his word for our Gentile understanding. Thanks, Pastor. And thank you, Jennifer, for uh, that question and writing us again. I notice they didn't boo you this time. Okay, this her, she's right. This is quite common response. Very, very typical. It's a typical response from those who don't like the Bible to be complicated. They they wish for Scripture to be readily apparent, everything laid out nice and clean. There's no mistakes. I get that so often. Why didn't God just spell it out? Why didn't He call me on the phone and tell me what's happening? Why doesn't He write it in the air? Why do we have this system that He has? I want you to think immediately of the doctrinal implications, what you're really saying there when you say such a thing. How come God didn't make it easy for me? What is that? That is, besides disrespectful, it's illiterate. Why doesn't God call me? What's that? How come I don't get a letter from God? What's that? What are the implications? What are you doing to yourself? You are elevating yourself, aren't you? You deserve this, right? No, you don't. What do you deserve? What do I deserve? But anyway, it's, this is a typical response, and Jennifer is correct, from those who wish for Scripture to be unconcealed, to be obvious, uh, evident, simple. And I want you to consider Proverbs 25, too. It's been on the bulletin here at Cliffside since our inception, so 
It's pushing 14, 15 years now, um, but it's on the bulletin on the front. Proverbs 25.2, consider it. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Learn that. He's not going to do what you want, by the way. He's not an organ grinder monkey that you can make perform for your little enjoyment. It's not going to happen. What would that be? If you could make him do what you want, whenever you want, the way you want it, what have you done? You've destroyed yourself. He is God. We are not. That seems simple, but it isn't. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search. God conceals, we search. That's the rule. You don't like it? You want to change it? That's your plan? Good luck with that. I want you to consider why you want to change it. And what are the destructive implications of that for you? What are you saying about God? What are you saying about God when he doesn't make something evident and obvious for your sake? Yeah, you're saying he's not God. Absolutely correct. Mike's absolutely correct. You're saying that God isn't doing it right. And that you have what? The capacity to do it better. And you would have done it different. Who started with that idea? Satan. That's who you're agreeing with. That should concern you. Do we all do it, by the way? Oh, yeah, we do. We all do it. We want God to change his system for our sake. Big problems with that. We are commanded to search for Christ. Do you know I have that view of John 5.39, that that is a command? And uh, there's two views on it. Some do not believe it's a command. And they are, of course, what do we call them? Wrong. That's right. It is a command. And it should, uh, It I believe John uh, 5.39 um, makes it obvious that uh, Scripture should convey Christ as the purpose of the Old Testament. And God has done this. He has hidden great truths. He has placed great mysteries, incredible secrets. And in, that's Mark 4.10 and Matthew 13.11 and 12. That's what he has done in his, his word. That is his design. So what's the real question? The real question is, why does he do this? Why is it, what is his purpose? What is he doing by hiding things? And he's very obvious about that, by the way. He doesn't conceal that. He tells you point blank, I am hiding things in scripture. He comes and he speaks to the Jews after they reject him in what? Parables. And he tells them, his disciples, you're going to understand this. They're not. Why does God hide things? That's the real question. Is it good that he does? Let's answer that. Absolutely it's good that he does. Why is it good that, it, that he does? He has a plan for you. It's a process that you're in. Joel's absolutely correct. You're trying to take a shortcut. He won't let you. You won't let your kids do it. Uh, where's Seth? Wake up, Seth. Thank you. I help Seth with his homework. The other day, Seth told me that I was wrong. Didn't you? Didn't you do that? It was math. He told me I was wrong. I knew immediately that the teacher was not wrong either. I knew the teacher had not properly explained this to a 14-year-old. 
Okay? That's not necessarily her fault. It's not easy to explain anything to a 14-year-old. But Seth was convinced, but he changed it because I seemed so, uh, what's the word I want? Confident. And so he did. And how'd that work out for you, Seth? Worked out okay. The school and I are all on a first-name basis now. They call me a lot. You know, I'd like that not to be the case, but that is the case for now. But the point in all of that is is that uh, uh, do not think so highly of yourself. There's a reason things are hidden. There's a process involved. You're supposed to do what this particular process. Don't let somebody else do it for you. If I do Seth's homework every single time, what does Seth learn? Nothing. And I'm really good at eighth grade math again. What's the point of that? There's no value in that for Seth. There is no value in you trying to circumvent the design of God, and the design of God is clear as a bell. He hides things. He has secrets. He has mysteries. He makes you search for them. He commands you to search for them. If you're not searching for them, who is not, I'm sorry, who is suffering? We are. Yes. Yes, sir. Oh, absolutely. Number one sin recorded is pride. That's Satan's original sin. He thought he could do something. Um, he uh, He's identified as pride as his original uh, um, downfall. So why are you so proud of yourself? It's not about us. Just remember that. He put the Bible together because it is relevatory of him, of God, his person, relevatory of Christ, his goodness, his holiness, his justice. If you're going through the Bible thinking it's about you, you are in big wampum trouble. It is never about you. You are a speck. A, you're, we're not even cockroaches. We are little, tiny Itty-bitty bugs uh, that, however, do seem to bite and irritate. Think of ourselves as dust mites. That's what we are. Okay? And so anybody that, and many people resent this, that God, that God hides and has this process. They demand that God reveal himself in a method that they approve. Again, what's the doctrinal implications of that organ grinder mentality? And this kind of thinking shows up not only with respect to the Hebrew betrothal process, ceremony, marriage, uh, but also with the Passover template. Uh, it shows up anytime I talk about typology in any pastor's meeting. They all say the same thing to me. They almost always look at me with disdain and say, oh, that's just, you know, that's... You're you're way overdoing it. You think Christ is on every page, and you think the Bible is way too complicated. And I say back to them, yeah, that's my plan. You're exactly right. I think Christ is on every page, and I'm going to stand before him and say, I think your book is infinite. I think that your word is extraordinary. I think it can it saves children, but it'll take a lifetime to learn one page of it. That's my opinion of it. You will have the other opinion that it's simple, shallow, not interconnected. 
We only have to read the New Testament. We don't have to worry about the Old Testament. That'll be your... And I won't be standing next to you. I'll be over in my own corner taking my own beating. But I'm not going to take that beating. And that usually, by the way, stops them. But they don't like Christ. They don't like the typology. I shouldn't say that. They don't like the typological studies of Christ. And so, and also the parables. They make the parables far more simple than they are. Those are, God taught those. God himself gave those. Have respect for them. Have awe for them. Also, tribulational prophecy. All of that shows up in the same general category with regard to people resenting it. If you, do, if it isn't obvious to them, they disregard it. And anything that requires gathering pieces, because that's what all of that does, Anything that requires gathering pieces from throughout the Bible. So I gotta go to the Old Testament, I get a piece. I gotta go to the New Testament, I gotta get a piece. I gotta figure out how, what order they go in. I have two pieces, I don't know how they fit together. Then I find a third piece. Now, what do I do? Which one comes first? What's the order? Anything that requires that, gathering pieces, connecting them to, together, the modern Laodicean church doesn't like doing that. That's too much work. They can't fit it in within a 20 minute sermon. It's not about them. Most of your sermons today are about the people sitting in the congregation and not the one who did the creation. Now, with the Hebrew betrothal marriage steps, let me say this, all of them, you've got them in your bulletin, all 12 of them, all of them are in Scripture. They're all there. There's none left out. I did not give you a 12-step process that is extra-biblical. Every single one of them is in the Bible. If you can't find one, where's the problem? Yeah, it's with you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. For the sake of the Internet people, that is a fake sorry. I'm not really sorry. All 12 of them are in Scripture. And once again, it is for us to accumulate each one. Somebody found all 12 of these and figured out the order. It wasn't me. God bless him. What a terrific work he did. And he wasn't the only one. Actually, it was a group of people over time. Each one got one and they knew it was critical. They found where God chose. What do we call Israel? The chosen nation. They found where God chose Israel and they saw the marriage symbolism that was in that context and they knew this is part of a marriage ceremony. It's probably the first step. The choosing, the selecting by the Father. They were excited. They knew they were on to something. I always think of the first person that ate puffer fish. I mean, why would you want to be that guy? How about the first guy who says, I'm going to test a parachute? Okay, I just, you know, there's, there's always, a, you ever read Chuck Yeager, Breaking the Speed of Sound? You know, they didn't know what was going to happen. Hey, I'll do that. I'll be that guy. I don't get it. How many people didn't eat puffer fish successfully? How many people today don't eat it successfully? Steve Cronister dies from eating pufferfish. That's murder. You know that. I didn't do it intentionally. 
Okay. Know the difference. It's for us to go out and accumulate these and place them in the correct order. It is not extra biblical. It is hidden. There's a great difference between extra biblical and hidden. Extra biblical is exactly that. It is something that is not biblical outside of the Bible. We have churches today founded on extra biblical traditions that are not in Scripture. Uh, um, again, Talia and I were talking about Gabrielmas and Michaelmas and Christmas. Um, the birth of Christ cannot be defended on December the 25th. You can defend the conception of Christ there, but you cannot defend the birth of Christ. But that tradition is in the church, and are we getting it out? Not very easy. We, we're going to have a church Christmas, Christ-sent party. And we can argue over when Christ was sent, but I'm going to make the case that he was sent on Rosh Hashanah, the feast days of trumpets, which is this year, I think, uh, on the 28th. Check me on that. Very important to know um, Feast Day of Trumpets because it is the time that Christ came or was born, in my view. Uh, but know the difference between extra-biblical, uh, a man's tradition, and hidden mysteries, secrets of God. First and foremost, right off the bat with regard to this Hebrew betrothal ceremony, God refers to himself as a husband, Israel as his wife. Okay, so I have a marriage right off the bat, Jeremiah 3. And then prophet after prophet. Now, where do we get a prophet? It is a God-given inspiration. It is a God-given uh, knowledge that they have. Ezekiel, Hosea, Isaiah, all of them re reference this husband-wife symbolism between God and Israel. We know beyond any doubt that God and Israel are in a husband-wife relationship. And they still are today. How are they related today in that relationship? God is the husband, Israel is the wife, and they are what? Divorced. But they're still in a husband-wife relationship. The Bible is clear about that. You can, at least you can know that is true. Now go get the other pieces. Jesus Christ very specifically and unmistakably declares himself to be the bridegroom for the church. He does it in Matthew 9.15 and Matthew 25. The parable of the ten virgins where step nine is displayed there. That's the step that says the bride is set apart, consecrated, become being sanctified. The groom's father gives permission for the son to go to the bride. It's also step 10, Matthew 25 is. The trumpet is blown. The bridegroom returns with a shout. Christ actually says the words, Behold, the bridegroom comes. He's the bridegroom. So you now know without any doubt that he sees the church as his bride. If you'll just put Matthew 9.15 and Matthew 25 together. you got step 9, step 10, step 11, step 12. We're just there. Why does he say, behold, a bridegroom comes? What's the obvious question you should ask? This is his system. This is the one he has designed. Why did he design it this way? Why doesn't he say, behold? Well, here's a better way to say it. Here come the judge. Why doesn't he say that? you got to be old to laugh at that joke. That's from the 60s. Sammy Davis, Jr. Why doesn't he say, 
Behold, the judge comes. Why doesn't he say, Behold, the potter comes? Why doesn't he say, Behold, the word comes? He doesn't. He says, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Why? Well, if you look at Matthew 25, it's in the context of Matthew 24. How does Matthew 24 start? The disciples are asking him questions. They're asking him, What shall be the sign of your coming for Israel? What shall be the sign of the end of the age of the Gentiles? what I like to call the sign of Lot's wife. Okay, When will the destruction of Jerusalem be and the t- destruction of the temple? So those are your three. When will be the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple? What shall be the sign of your coming for Israel? Or what shall be the sign of the end of the age of the Gentile? The parable of the ten virgins is illustrative. It's more information, if you will. It's supposed to be added to Matthew 24, 1 through 51, the whole chapter. Be very much aware that Christ ends his condemnation of the Pharisees. That's Matthew 23 with this phrase. He says, blessed is he who comes. That's how he ends his condemnation of the Pharisees. Figure out what a Pharisee is, by the way. Do everything you can to not be one or think like one. Figure out what a Pharisee thinks is a way to get themselves saved and then go do what? The opposite of that. It's pretty much like me and Seth. I figure out what Seth wants to do, and we do the opposite. We'll do that for ten more years. Just checking to see if you're still awake, Seth. Okay, good. Don't talk, Seth. But figure out what a Pharisee is. Do the opposite. Figure out what a Pharisee thinks is salvation. Have none of it anywhere near you. He condemns him in Matthew 23, and he ends that condemnation with that phrase, Blessed is he who comes. Behold, the bridegroom comes, Matthew 25, 6. Blessed is he who comes, uh, Matthew 23, 39. So that's Psalm 118, 26. Those two shouts are connected, which is why Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15 and Numbers 20, which is also connected, the killing of the rock a second time, which is Numbers 20, he smotes the rock twice instead of speaking to the rock. He's not making a mistake. It's not an error. It is a knowledgeable thought through action. He knows what he's doing. It is a place of rejection. 118 Psalms 26, 118 26 is one of the rejections of Moses and Aaron by the nation of Israel, who, by the way, were surrounding them at the time. What would happen if the water doesn't come out of the rock? What do you think would happen? Moses intentionally sabotages that process. He's told by God to speak to the rock. He does it. He strikes it twice, smotes it twice, kills it twice. Who's the rock? That's Jesus Christ. Moses is... Killing the rock two more times. How many times has the rock been killed already? Once. First time, this water out of the rock. Now Moses is going to kill it twice more. He knows what that rock signifies. This is Moses. He's got a red phone. He goes up the mountain. He gets his questions directly answered. He knows what's going on. Moses knows. He doesn't make a mistake. 
an intentional act. What's he doing? He's surrounded by people. Does he believe for an instant that God is going to bring water out of a rock that he's supposed to speak to the second time? Why is he killing it the first time and speaking to it the second time? What's that? Two advents of Christ, isn't it? But he doesn't. He tries to do something totally wrong. Why does he do it? You've got to solve that. Just know that this very mysterious passage, Moses, the deliverer of Israel, is surrounded. He delivers Israel from Egypt in the sense that he is the one that God sends. He intentionally strikes the rock twice. It seems to be inexplicable until you approach it from the position that Moses knows very well what he's doing. And he understands Deuteronomy 18.15 and he wrote Psalm 118.26. Go. No, that's usually assigned to Elisha. But um, Moses writes what I always tell people is my favorite verse in all of the Bible. I get asked that a lot. It's Deuteronomy 18.15. He says, the prophet like unto me. It's what got me started in studying uh, typologies of Christ. Anyway, you have to solve that to correct, correctly solve it in order to have Psalm 118.26, which is, blessed is he who comes. And then you have to add in Luke 13.35, which explains why it is said and, why, and what the relationship to 118.26 and who says, blessed is he who comes and why they say it and when they say it, which explains Matthew 23.39. And then now you've got that piece and you add in, behold, the bridegroom comes. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.15 and uh, 1 Corinthians 15.52. And that sends us to Michael the archangel. That's Daniel 12.1 through 3. Can't forget either that Gabriel was sent to Daniel also. So I have Michael and Gabriel and Daniel, and Gabriel's also sent to Mary, Luke 1.26. There's my Gabriel must that I was talking about. you got to understand that Moses wrote Psalm 118. And what's it got in it? You all know Psalm 118 because it has the prophecy of the cornerstone in it. We sing the song, right? The rejected cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Who's Moses talking about when he writes that? Peter identifies that as Christ. But Moses is also considered to be the cornerstone by the nation of Israel. It fits 18.15 Deuteronomy together. He is also rejected by the nation of Israel. He would be, of course, because he is one of the great types in Scripture. Moses, Adam, Joseph. Peter reveals that to be Jesus Christ, revealed to be Christ in Acts 4.11. Moses, as a type of Christ, was also one who came to deliver Israel. He, Moses, and Aaron were rejected. So look at that a second. The deliverer of Israel and the high priest of Israel. I hope you see the combination of Moses and Aaron because you put them together. And what kind? What do you get? You get a little tiny glimpse of the person of Christ. A small picture of what Christ would infinitely expand on with regard to deliverer and high priest. So connect all those pieces. And finally, the cliffside favorite phrase. Would the musicians get up here? Keep in the forefront that God has revealed in Scripture the two extraordinary things. that He is treating, this is where Kathy and Marie came up last week. He is treating his chosen, 
his selected, that's step one, his chosen nation of Israel, the chosen people, he is treating them, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 11, as his wife. That is how he is treating them. Israel is the chosen wife. God is treating Israel as a chosen wife whom he has divorced on the grounds of adultery, Jeremiah 3, 1 through 5, Ezekiel 16, 15 through 34, but he, one that he will eventually remarry with a new marriage contract, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. So Israel is symbolized as a wife. I told Kathy last week, sometimes I wish he hadn't have done it that way because it's so confusing to people. Just like I wish he doesn't call himself Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he did it for a reason. I know it's the right reason. My frustration isn't with his system. It's with the people's inability to understand what he's doing. He is treating Israel symbolically as his wife. That's what he's doing. Why wouldn't he treat them like a basketball team was my thing. He could call them the Lakers. I'm going to treat Israel like the Lakers. Or I'm going to treat them Israel like, um, I don't know, a railroad. There are two things I could understand, basketball and railroad. They give me a lot less work. But he doesn't. He treats them like a wife. That's the system, the symbol that he's using. Are they literally his wife? They are being treated as if they are. Now, the church is symbolized as a betrothed bride. Does that make sense? Okay? Where Christ calls himself Christ God, God Christ, Christ, God, God, Christ, they're all God, right? I've got to say that a lot. It confuses people. Christ, God, is the coming bridegroom. Two entities, two different symbols. The symbol for Israel is as a wife. The symbol for the church is as a bride, betrothed bride. We are in the bride. Israel is the wife. We have different symbols. Don't mix, commingle the symbols. To do that, to fail to have those distinctions, is going to cause you error. Israel is made up of people, the Jews are, and God treats them, symbolizes them as a wife in a Jewish marriage system. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Both are made up of people, and God treats or symbolizes the church as a betrothed bride. You get that in your head? Okay. Get the pediatric nurse's mother away from the baby. Okay. Let's stand and be dismissed.